0: Get your entire podcast library hosted at the Podcast Matrix. What is Whatisthepodcastmatrix.com Welcome everybody to Presidential Bio. I'm Phil Tracy on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. So some of you are probably thinking, hey, what is this presidential bio and what am I going to learn from it? Is it worth listening to? And I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to be worth listening to. We're going to tell you about each one of our presidents, each one of the gentlemen that have served this great country of ours. And did you know that there are 44 administrations and 43 men that have served this great country? We're going to tell you about each one of them. We're going to tell you about their young lives, their young adulthood into their professional life, how they got introduced into politics, and how did they ascend to the office of president of the United States, not only the most powerful position in our country, but one of the most influential positions in the world. And we're going to take you through each one of those 43 presidents. And you heard me mention 43 presidents, but we've had 44 administrations. So how does that work? Well, one of the other things I'm going to insert throughout this series is some trivia. It's going to be information that you're going to find interesting and little tidbits that you may not know about each of these presidents. And as I mentioned here, the 43 presidents that have served, one of them served two separate terms with a president in between. There was a gentleman by the name of Grover Cleveland that was our 22nd and 24th president. After his first term, he ran for re-election and lost to Benjamin Harrison. He waited around, came back, and beat Benjamin Harrison and became president for two more terms. He was our 22nd and 24th, and no other president has ever done that. Pretty interesting, huh? And there's more to learn. While we talk about these diverse 43 men, let's take a step back and think about how did we get to the point in which we had a president of the United States. And let's take a look at the history there and how we got there. We all know about the American Revolution, right? The Revolution took place from 1775 to 1781. And a lot of people don't realize that Washington does not become our president until 1789. So what is going on in the country from 1781 to 1789? Well, there's a couple things going on. One, the war ends and the British surrender, yet the British troops are still stationed in the colonies from 1781 to 1783, and in 83, we sign the treaty of paris so now the war is truly over but still how are we governing ourselves how how is the country running at this point well it's running because in 1777 congress got together and created the articles of confederation meaning that we are independent colonies in an alliance together and we're going to have one central authority we're not going to have a king Right? Because that's what they were fighting against. We're going to have one central authority and that central authority was Congress. But the problem was that Congress really didn't have any authority, didn't have any power. They were not allowed to create any laws. They were not allowed to implement any taxes or tariffs on the citizens. So what did you have? You kind of had all these states that were infighting and fighting with each other over how they were trading and where the boundary waters were for fishing and hunting and things like that. So what happened was a gentleman by the name of James Madison, who became our fourth president, he realized that in 1786, we've got to get everyone together because the way we're doing this really isn't working. So he calls for a meeting in Maryland, and most of the colonies show up, but not all of them. It was poorly attended. They didn't get anything accomplished. But what he did do was James Madison said, why don't we do this? let's plan on getting back together next year 1787 and let's talk about how we're going to rebuild the structure of this country and move forward in the meantime he realized i've got to get someone to this meeting that can rally the people together and at this point george washington has left the military he's back on his own plantation at mount vernon and really has nothing to do with any of this madison goes and sees him and says hey you gotta come with me. You gotta come to this meeting. We're gonna have this convention and we're gonna rebuild this government and everyone respects you, everyone likes you. Why don't you show up to this thing? He comes to the convention and as they're sitting there talking about this new constitution and they're building the framework, they start talking about the office of president. Unbeknownst to Washington, though, he doesn't realize that they're building this office around him. Eventually, what happens is when they write the Constitution and it is ratified by the majority of the states, that's when they say that Washington is president. They've used the Electoral College and unanimously the Electoral College elects Washington, the first president of the United States and the only president to unanimously win the Electoral College. One of the interesting things you're gonna learn today about George Washington is what he accomplished in his life. So I want you to do this. I want you to be aware of how young he is in all these leadership roles that he takes Think about what did you do when you were 16, what were you doing when you were 21, and what were you doing when you were 26, because I think what you're going to hear about what George Washington did at those ages is going to amaze you. So let's learn a little bit about George Washington. George Washington, the early years. Our first president was born in 1732 to a well-to-do family in Virginia. And George's father was a gentleman farmer with a nice tract of land, which had ties back to England. And this is important to know, that his great-grandfather was given land in Virginia, in the new country, by King Henry VIII. And this is going to play a role in George Washington's mindset, because he is actually going to be going to war against a country that both of his father and grandfather believed in, and really receive benefits from to start this life in america washington's father he was very ambitious and he grew this great estate this great plantation in virginia he acquired a lot of land a lot of slaves he built mills and also grew tobacco and back in those days tobacco was a very profitable crop washington was in a very well-to-do family at this time and this estate that i'm referring to The name of this estate will eventually become Mount Vernon, which his brother Lawrence named when he became the heir to the property. George is homeschooled, and he was a very good student, not just book smart, but also in his understanding in the operations of the family plantation. By his early teens, George had mastered growing tobacco, raising animals, and even learned the art of land surveying. Unfortunately, at the age of 11, George's father dies. And George now becomes a ward of his brother, Lawrence. And this is something else to point out, right? Because this is very different than the way we live today. When you have a family, the father is in charge of the family and has this plantation. When he dies, it doesn't go to the wife or the mother. It goes to the next eldest in the family. So his brother, Lawrence, is now the heir to this plantation, and George becomes his ward, even though George's mother is still alive, Matter of fact, George's mother, Martha Ball, actually sees him become president, and she dies six months later. But George is now 11, and he's dependent upon his brother. And his brother is a great mentor to George and really takes him under his wing. So at the age of 16, as I mentioned, George became a great land surveyor. He gets a job to lay out the western half of of the great state of Virginia. And this is also key because he's learning and understanding terrain of land, which becomes a a benefit to him when he becomes general of the Continental Forces. After surveying for several years, George returns home and his brother Lawrence is ill. And this is the brother that has been taking him under his wing and George is looking up to him. And as the brother passes away, George realizes now he is the heir to Mount Vernon And George is just 20 years old. He is the sole heir. People took note of this young man, his ability to manage such a plantation and continue to operate it in a profitable manner that quickly the lieutenant governor of the colony of Virginia comes to him and says, you are a great leader. You're a great young man. I'm going to appoint you major in the Virginia militia. And he is just 20 years old and he is taking on more responsibility. Now that I told you that about George Washington, stop for a minute and think what were you doing when you were 20 years old? George Washington and his young adulthood. Now that George Washington has been appointed major in the Virginia militia, he has given his first task. And this first task is interesting and it really is historic. He is being asked by the lieutenant governor hey, can you do us a favor? Can you go up northwest of here and talk to the French? And this northwest region we're talking about is Pennsylvania today. So Washington goes up there, and sure enough, there are French troops up there, and they're building a fort on British territory. Washington goes up there and goes, Hey, guys, I've been sent up here to talk to you because you're not supposed to be building here. You know, the French territory is further north and further west of here, so can you guys leave? And the French are really cordial to him. Actually, he sits down and has dinner with them. And at the end of dinner, the French go, Thanks for coming by, but yeah, no, we're not leaving. Washington turns around and goes back and says, yeah, they said they don't want to leave. The lieutenant governor says, okay, do me a favor. I'm going to give you some troops, and then you got to go up and talk to them again. And, you know, like if you have to use some force or something, go ahead and do that. So he goes up there, and he meets with the troops again. And sure enough, a battle breaks out. This battle breaks out in 1754, and it is the start of the French and Indian War. George Washington is now 21 years old. Now think about what you're doing at 21. Did you start a major conflict that we are talking about still today? Now at the age of 23, George is named commander-in-chief of the Virginia militia and is dispatched to protect the Virginia border over 400 miles. And Washington is instrumental in helping the British secure the Ohio Valley and retires from the Virginia militia at the age of 26. He retires at 26 but he liked what he was doing with the military. So he goes to the British and says, hey, I want to be an officer in the British military. And they look at him and turn him down. And this is something that he will remember in the time to come. Considering all his accomplishments in the military, he decides, I'm just going to go back to Mount Vernon and get my plantation in order and continue to grow my crops and grow my livestock and make a good life for myself. So he goes back home. And he meets this woman, Martha Dandridge Custis, and he ends up marrying her. And she has two children and she is widowed. She is a very big land owner in Virginia as well. So once they get married, this becomes part of Washington's tracts of lands. And he becomes one of the wealthiest landowners in Virginia. Washington is devoted to his family and is devoted to his land. But once again, duty calls and he is elected to the House of Burgesses in 1758. Stop for a second and think about this. Washington now is the wealthiest landowner in Virginia. He just got elected to the House of Burgesses. He helped start one of the biggest conflicts with the French and Indian Wars, and he is 26 years old. What were you doing when you were 26, and what had you accomplished in your life? Let's take a break, and as we go to break, I want you to think about this. Here's a little presidential bio trivia for you. Who was the last general to be elected president of the United States? This is Phil Tracy on Presidential Bio on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual Advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to Perpetual Advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com. see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com mustangs camaros f-150s silverados and batmobiles oh my cars aren't just for transportation they transport us like time machines, to times in our lives, and to the jobs, games, and places that we all call life. Check out twoguystalkingcars.com and experience the stories and details about the cars, trucks, and vehicles inside television and feature films. Get your motor running with twoguystalkingcars.com. That's twoguystalkingcars.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Presidential Bio. We're talking about our first president, President George Washington. And now we're jumping into his political career and what transpired and how did he get to become president. We now know at the age of 26, he is serving in the Virginia House and Washington is starting to become agitated with the British and the fact that the British crown is passing a variety of acts and taxes on the colonies. And let's talk about a couple of these for just a second, just so you have an idea. One of them is the British Proclamation Act. And let's understand what it is really doing to the colonists at this point. This was Britain's way of telling them we're limiting your settlement. We don't want you moving any further west than this line right here. And what they're trying to do is make sure that they can better control the colonies and keep them within a certain area. Then they pass an act called the Townshend Act. And the Townshend Acts was actually five different acts. And these acts were all to raise money for governors and judges within each of the colonies. This was the way for the crown to get money to the judges and to the governors to keep them loyal to the crown so that they can better control the colonies. And then finally, the Stamp Act. And many of us are familiar with the Stamp Act. It was a stamp that was just put on paper. So any colonist that bought paper had to pay a tax that went back to the crown for this paper that they were gonna write on. Finally, in 1769, Washington introduces a resolution for Virginia to boycott all British goods until these acts are repealed. And in 1774, After the Boston Tea Party, Parliament enacts the Intolerable Acts. The Intolerable Acts are taking away self-governance and rights of the citizens of Massachusetts. And this is really where it's starting to come to a head. So at 1774, Washington calls for a meeting in Fairfax to discuss what's happening. And this leads to the convening of the Continental Congress. And they start the conversations of a possible armed resistance. Now, this meeting is taking place in March 1775. One month later, in April 1775, the Battle of Lexington and Concord takes place, and the revolution is on. One month later, is May 1775, Washington travels to Philadelphia for the Second Continental Congress, and he shows up in his military uniform. This is clearly a message that he is prepared for war, and Washington is quickly appointed Major General and Commander-in-Chief of the Colonial Forces. Even though Washington is limited in his military experience and much less experience than the British general he is about to face, he is a natural leader, and the troops rally around him because he inspires them, and he seems to always stay one step ahead of the enemy. Here's a great example of that. It is Christmas 1776 and it has been a tough go for the colonial forces. But Washington makes the historic decision to cross the Delaware with his troops and surprises the Hessian mercenaries in Trenton and then deals a humiliating blow to the British forces in Princeton. This is the success that he's been looking for, and his troops gain momentum for their fight for independence. As the war rages on, Washington is building an alliance with the French. He realizes he is probably not going to be able to defeat the number one army in the world in the British. So he goes to their arch nemesis, the French, and he dispatches Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin to talk to them and see if they can create an alliance and they would help them. Sure enough, the French are more than happy to come over. They send over the Navy and the army to assist them. And sure enough, in the battle of Yorktown in 1781, the British finally give up. They surrender to both the French and the American forces and they realize that America will now become its own independent country. This six-year war for independence is now over. After the Treaty of Paris is signed in 1783, Washington formally wishes his troops farewell and resigns as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. He returns to Mount Vernon and is content to rebuild his plantation, which has fallen into disarray while he was off fighting the war. Washington is given a land grant by Congress for his service And after four years of hard work, he is able to restore profitability to Mount Vernon once again. He is 54 years old. Most of us are planning for our retirement at 54, but he is now about to start on a new venture. The presidency of George Washington. Things start to improve at home for Washington, but once again, he is called to duty. He attends the Constitutional Convention and helps to build the framework for the U.S. Constitution. By the end of the convention, Washington is unanimously chosen to be the first president of the United States. He is inaugurated in March of 1789 in New York City on Federal Hall. And today, you can go down to the Wall Street Financial District, and there is a statue of George Washington on the exact spot where he was inaugurated, our first president of the United States. As Washington becomes president of the United States, he realizes that nobody has ever done this job before. So he sets the tone as president of the United States for all the people that follow in his footsteps. For example, he was the one who coined the phrase, please call me Mr. President, which is still what we use today. He got the first salary as a president of $25,000. And think about that. In 1789, $25,000 seems like a pretty good amount of money. He organizes what is considered a cabinet, even though it wasn't called a cabinet at the time, where he had several other people that would advise him on different items. People such as Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton, as well as John Adams. Washington also establishes the nation's capital in a permanent district on the Potomac. This district will be later named in his honor and is known today as Washington, DC. Washington's presidency is not free of controversy though. It's 1792. He must invoke the Militia Act to quell the Whiskey Rebellion for a tax on distilled spirits. And think about it. These people fought for independence. They didn't want any taxation. But the reality is, how are you going to run the government without any taxation? So he's got to invoke the militia just to quell them and educate the people on what we're trying to do here as a nation. Then 1793, France and Great Britain go to war with each other. His cabinet is divided on what they should do. Thomas Jefferson, who got the French to align with them in the Revolutionary War, is saying, we need to go to war and support the French. Alexander Hamilton is, is saying, you're crazy. We're just too young of a country. They're going to bring the war here, and it's going to destroy our country. So Washington takes the leadership role and steers towards neutrality and will not take sides. Throughout his two terms as president, Washington is also becoming dismayed with the infighting and the growing partisanship within government. Even in his own cabinet, somebody like Alexander Hamilton, who is the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, he pushes for a strong national government and an economy built on industry. And he starts to lead a group called the Federalists. Meanwhile, the Secretary of State, who is Thomas Jefferson, his desire to, is to keep government small and local and build an economy based on agriculture. And he starts leading a group called the Democratic-Republicans. So even within this small group of men, there is division uh, on politics and where the country should go. But Washington really can't do anything about this, right? He knows that this development of opposing political parties is going to happen. There are other critics to Washington's administration, those that suggested they were being too extravagant. Many people felt that he was being a hypocrite because he wanted to be that citizen leader, He didn't want to be their king, yet he was living his life like he was a king. He had lavish dinner parties, he had horse-drawn carriages with footmen on it just like the King of England had, and also rented houses for government officials that were rather expensive. Washington was mindful of these critics and was careful to avoid any of the traits of a monarch. So, as Washington ages, he refuses to consider a third term and he yearns to return home to Mount Vernon, which he does in 1797 turning over the office of president to the newly elected John Adams, who served as his vice president. When Washington leaves, he feels the government is in capable hands, the country is at peace, all the debts for the country are being well managed, and they are set on a course for prosperity. He turns his attention back to his plantation and devotes much of his time to tending to the farm's operation and management. And think about this. He had this flourishing plantation that when he went off to fight the Revolution, it fell into disarray. He rebuilt it. Then he's called on by the country to serve as president. Once again, the plantation has, has fallen into disarray and he is trying to rebuild his plantation and his wealth once again. As he is out working on his plantation in December of 1799, Washington spends the day in driving snow to tend to his plantation and returns home with a cold and feeling weak. He awakes with a severe sore throat, which quickly progresses, and he dies four days later on December the 14th, 1799. The country mourns the loss of their leader, and it is felt that not just through the U.S., but in Europe, where England and France also honor Washington. The legacy of President George Washington. You know, in the end when you think of George Washington and where the country was, he could have been king of the United States, but he preferred not to be. He wanted to be a citizen who felt that he could be replaceable and that the cause of liberty was greater than any one person. In his farewell letter to the American people in 1796, Washington conveyed his excitement about joining his fellow Americans as a private citizen in this free government that they had created together In what is astounding to me, his 45 years of public service. When Washington served this great country, he was not only considered a military hero and a father of our country, but he was a man of great personal integrity with a deep sense of duty, honor, and patriotism to his country. For Presidential Bio, I'm Phil Tracy on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.